Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. My guest today is Colin Wright. Colin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So, Colin, before we get into the weeds of the issue of the day, so could you tell everybody who's going to be watching and listening to this maybe later on a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm I'm currently the managing editor at Quillette Magazine. We're a magazine that prioritizes free thought, free speech, free expression. We try to publish across a wide swath of ideological diversity, uh, as long as you have good arguments. Uh, we, we, we tend not to discriminate based on ideologies. Uh, I am an evolutionary biologist, or at least I was until about a year and a half ago, and I left academia, uh, partially because of the writings that I did on the area of sex and gender, and it kind of got me in hot water with a lot of academics in my field. They thought it was transphobic or whatever, even though I'm just basically saying that there's two sexes and that it's important to acknowledge in certain situations. So uh, I left academia uh, after being in it for probably over 12 years, and I was trying to become a, um, an assistant professor, a tenure track position, and it seemed like it was going to be untenable. So I decided to leave and take more control uh, in my own life. And uh, luckily, Quillette was kind enough to offer me the job that I currently have, where I'm basically, I think, mostly uncancelable. And then I also have a substat called Reality's Last Stand, which also helps uh, some supplementary income, uh, where I basically talk a lot about similar issues in sex and gender, and uh, also publish articles from other people. And I have like a weekly news update on uh, how society is denying the reality of, of biological sex, not just sex differences or personality differences, but sex itself as in male and female. So if anyone's interested in that, they can check it out. But uh, that's the, the Reader's Digest version of, of who I am. All right, great, Colin. So, uh, so I wanted to keep today's discussion specifically. So I, uh, like I was saying this to you offline, uh, I wanted to make it like a prequel. So, so here's the hypothesis. So uh, from what I've understood, I've been closely following the 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 political landscape in America for a while, and uh, as, I mean, uh, so the thing is, uh, the world cannot ignore what happens in America. Maybe America can ignore the world, but whatever happens in America tends to have downstream effects to every other part of the world. So the world has to be very careful about what's happening out there. So obviously, uh, I've been following your Substack uh, too, and there's a lot of uh, scientific material and even cultural argumentation there, but. So vocism is the symptom. Now, today in the prequel, uh, and I'm going to be titling this Atheism and Vocism. Now, I had this hypothesis where I, I, I've been a disbeliever now for a good 20 years of my life. I don't know. I mean, my journey was so boring. I told my mom, mom, I don't believe in these things. And mom was like, shut up and eat your breakfast. Who cares? And it ended there. But then I remember distinctly when I went to study, when I went to Canada, there was this movement at that time in Canada. I, I distinctly remember picking up a book by Richard Dawkins. Now, I was just a disbeliever. And my whole thing was that leave me alone. I don't care what you guys do. You can believe in what whatever you want to do. Yeah, if there are bad ideas, I'll question them. As long as the state does not interfere in my human rights, I don't care. People can do what they want to do. But then new atheism came up and maybe the four horsemen were there. And there was this distinct ideology that, I mean, if I remember correctly, uh, there were words used like religion is a mind virus and religion destroys everything. It devours everything. Or there was a famous documentary titled The Root of All Evil. 
it literally said the root of all evil and and so here's the hypothesis atheism was fine new atheism makes a mistake that throws the baby out with the bathwater and now human beings need i don't know how else to say it we need common fictions to cling on to each other and here you have in the last decade or so maybe wokeism in a very weird way filling the space that was created because new atheism attacked religion so am i wrong to say that actually it's new atheism's fault yeah i i've been sort of coming to terms with the way that new atheism uh was argued i i used to be very partial to the arguments made by uh sam harris and richard dawkins and the you know the four horsemen hitchens and dennett and sometimes they'd be asked a question that's something along the lines of well when you get rid of religion like what do you replace it with and i think dawkins in particular i remember his response and i think harris too would say something along the lines of well what do you replace cancer with when you you know remove a tumor and the implication was that you know you don't replace it with anything you just live your life and maybe you're getting into poetry and you find other meaningful ways to live your uh to to live a happy life and find meaning in your life and that resonated with me then and it's in a way it still kind of does i'm just a very non-religious person i don't find there to be a big meaning vacuum in my life i can find meaning in proximate ways through you know loving my family uh through just trying to educate myself on things uh become more enlightened watch movies uh philosophy literature i just i find these very fulfilling and i, I don't feel like i need some major life story arc where you know i'm the 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 hero or something and i'm i'm fighting evil so that was resonated with me and i think it i think on the individual level for some people that is something they can do and not everyone needs to have this overarching uh meaning making fiction or something in their lives uh and i've i've sort of been moving away from that recently i i still am an atheist and um i still would argue with people about the existence of god because ultimately i care about what's true and if there's bad arguments people are giving for the existence of god i'm i'm going to argue with them and i go to the mat with them on these uh, on any claim that they make that i feel is is untrue but i'm beginning to soften a little bit to the idea that above the individual level maybe societies as a whole and maybe a lot of individuals aren't don't have the same approaches you know me and Dawkins and Harris i think maybe we do need some of these more overarching narratives and stories about how to make meaning um what a society should be striving for now the the issue that i come against here too that i i'm not sure what the solution is is that i'm i'm against dogma in in any sense of the word you know dogma the way i define it is some sort of beliefs or conclusions that can't be questioned and it's unclear to me if you can have those meaning making structures without some sort of dogma without some sort of sacred thing that's just rooted in in science and facts and logic and i really hope that it's not true i, I hope that it is possible to make a sort of secular narrative of of meaning that resonates with people in the same way that a religion does if there's not i don't i don't know where to go from there except for trying to distame the worst aspects of dogma and religion 
and try to sort of live in harmony with these these ideas and not let them get too extreme. But yeah, I think the the new atheist rhetoric, um, the whole religion poisons everything. I think maybe you can replace religion with sort of dogma uh, or just un, unsubstantiated beliefs. Because once you start taking on beliefs that uh, you're not allowed to question, you know, that's sort of a, a, a slide to authoritarianism and, and um, you know, ruling over people's lives in ways that I, I find uh, unpalatable. But it's... I think it's one of the biggest questions that we have right now. I think Jordan Peterson is addressing this. I think people like Sam Harris are, are getting more on board with the fact that maybe there is this God-shaped hole in people's lives. And once we've rid society of this, maybe we do need to replace with something. Because right now, I think you, you may have alluded to this, that the whole woke ideology seems to be fulfilling that in a way. Only it, it doesn't have these ancient structures of you know forgiveness and... Uh, uh, cohesion at a society level. It's very individualistic and it seems to just be breaking groups into smaller and smaller factions. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of tearing things apart rather than bringing people together. So that's, that's my, my brief take on, uh, on religion and new atheism. So, so let's unpack this a little more. So I always do this. So I, I distinctly remember this is the one story or example I always used to get from new atheists. And they would be like, okay, I'll give you this thought experiment. Uh, there's a huge nuclear holocaust or something of that happens. Mostly everything is destroyed. But we have these comic books that are there. And those comic books of the Avengers survive for some odd reason over the years and years and years. And suddenly after five, 600 years down the line, Homo sapiens come across this comic book. And what do you think is going to happen? And, and obviously the natural answer is the probabilities of those Homo sapiens actually considering the Avengers to be real because of no video or audio evidence and making stories around them and thinking that they're real characters and gods in that sense is very high. And they would be like, there you go. Religion sucks. I was like, no, there you go. The religious condition is the most natural condition. I mean, I don't know how, what am I missing? I, and I would look at the same story and my instant reaction was, there is something in the religious condition, in the religious mindset, uh, uh, the suprasensory effect of some sort. Uh, I think Pascal Boyer has talked about it in his book uh, very well. He, he explains the evolutionary reasons why people seek religion. But where do you think the miscommunication is happening. Why am I looking at the same story in an extremely different way while the new atheist does it in a, another way? I think a lot of what happened to new atheism was that you had, so right before new atheism, most of the people in the atheist community were just these sort of old school skeptics. They were, would debunk all kinds of arguments, whether it's, you know, uh, acupuncture or, um, dousing and tarot reading and things like that you know they were just pretty skeptical and evidence they wanted evidence for all kinds of stuff um pretty much e for every claim and then you had sort of the 9-11 take place and you had a lot of politics start happening in the united states and there was attempts to get uh creationism and intelligent design taught in classrooms so there was a major pushback from a lot of these skeptics and they, they really started focusing on on religion and then you got a lot of the I guess the the more far left Democrats that went on board and they hated the Catholic Church and they liked the new athe or the, the atheism movement. So they sort of all joined en masse to the atheist movement that really inflated their numbers. But this this new wave of people 
kind of outnumbered the old skeptics and it was filled with a bunch of people who really were interested in politics first and they they didn't like you know they used atheism as a club against things like the catholic church and at first a lot of the atheists the old school skeptics were on board because like they'd been criticizing the catholic church for a long time too but it was really these this new group it was basically just sort of democrats who hate religion who happen to be atheists and so it took on just a, an overtly political uh, tone to the entire thing. And then you had the intersectional component there where they would make all these really great arguments against Christianity, uh, all the dogmas that are there, you know, as far as they might affect people like uh, the LGBT community. But then because they had that intersectional component, when Dawkins or someone like Sam Harris would then use these exact same arguments, and then they would say, well, these also apply to Islam. Well, then that would all, you'd get the pushback within the atheist community because now they're criticizing people who are, you know, have brown skin and have different cultures. And this is where just the whole Islamophobia debate came up. Uh, and it, it really tore the atheist movement apart. There was major factions that, you know, the old school skeptics were like, no, we need to apply these reasoning to, to every every belief and every religion. And then you had which was now an overwhelming majority of people who uh, would just see that as being inherently bigoted or racist or Islamophobic. So that's sort of where that came from. I, I, I might have missed part of your question, so I kind of went on a little tangent there, but maybe that helps clarify. Um, yeah, yeah. No, from. actually, let's pick it off from here because this is a good segue into atheism plus, and I want to understand this. Since So when do you think culturally, because again, I don't think so atheism plus really exists outside the confines of America. Outside America, most people, so I'll give you an example. Maybe you'll, so I don't know if you're aware of the ex-Muslim movement. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you must have heard of ex-Muslims. Uh, it, it's a movement, it's a, it's a well-known movement now. A lot of Muslims are coming out. It's uh, So when I see the ex-Muslims, I see new atheists in them. They're, so they're, they're trying to do what Dawkins and Sam Harris kind of did for Christianity in the 90s. I see ex-Muslims doing this in the last five to seven years for Islam in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in its own way. Now, I hope they don't make the same mistakes of uh, what Dawkins and Sam Harris did, but that's for another day. But let's talk about atheism plus. So when do you think new atheism starts morphing? Because that's that's all I can say is, so when do you think, who were the first major, uh, uh, should I use the word preachers of atheism plus? Yeah, so, so it was partially the influx of these new identitarian intersectional people. And then there was also some old school atheists like PZ Myers who slowly morphed over time. Um, th there were some, I think, catalyst moments within the movement. Um, there were a lot of atheist conventions that were going on. I went to a lot of these conventions myself. And there was this this hyper awareness that you know sexism was everywhere because the atheist movement was predominantly uh, consisting of males. I think I don't know what the ratio was, but it was mostly males that were in the movement. And so you had that sort of sex difference with uh, representation. And so this was forming a narrative that because of this, you know, this disparity in the sex ratio, that maybe the reason that we don't have an equal sex ratio is because the atheist movement is sexist to some degree. You know, 
women, it's not that maybe these aren't topics that women on average are less interested in than, than males, which I would argue that's probably the case. Uh, I mean, the same reason why the field of philosophy is more male dominated. Um, it's, it, I, just, I just think a lot of females on average aren't gonna be as interested in the these types of debates. Um, and so you, you had this narrative going along that atheism was was sexist. And then there was this, this push to try to find this sexism everywhere. And so we would have these atheist conventions and anytime a speaker or any other just atheist at the convention would maybe hit on one of the one of the women who were there at the bar, you know, these were just blown up out of proportion as just like, you know, don't do that. This is uncomfortable. I'm at this conference to to talk about atheism. I'm not here to to hook up with people. And that's fair enough, but still it's you're at a bar, you're at a conference we're all adults, people are gonna hit on people, you know, as long as it, it doesn't actually move into a form of harassment, we all need to be adults and just say, you know, be able to handle these adult situations and say, you know, like, nope, I'm not interested, sorry. And if it if, if it accelerates from there and exacerbates, then then there's an issue. So we had the, the whole elevator gate uh, scandal with Rebecca Watson, and that might be just a, a major pivotal movement in the atheism, atheism plus transition, where she was a speaker, she was known as skeptic, and she gave a talk. I think her talk might have addressed a little bit about sexism in the atheist community. And then when she was going back to her room, she went in the elevator. It was, I think, late into the, the night, maybe 2 a.m. in the morning or something. And uh, one of the other males at the convention went in the elevator with her and then offered her to go back to his room for a cup of coffee. Uh, that's literally what he said, just a cup of coffee. But this is sort of a euphemism for would you, you know, want to fool around or hook up? Um, but it, you know, it's it's about as innocuous a way that you can, you know, ask somebody a direct question, uh, in, in that nature, uh, as inoffensively as possible. And she said no, and then he didn't push it, and they both went their separate ways into their separate rooms, and that was that. You know, most people would think that, oh, okay, that was that was handled very well by all sides. But then she kind of went on social media the next day and just tried to just blow up the atheist community of how this was example of extreme sexism. Don't do this. I was in an elevator, you know, a, a small space where I couldn't have escaped. And you know, fair enough. Maybe that wasn't the best place to hit on somebody, but no one's perfect. Nothing happened. It was by all means just a you know, and maybe an awkward moment for somebody. Uh, and then that just started this snowball effect um, because some people thought it was pretty innocuous. Like I'm, I, I think it was a pretty innocuous encounter. And then half the movement, or probably more than half, thought this was just absolutely horrible. Uh, the movement split into major factions uh, against Richard Dawkins because he had posted like a, a, a response, <clears throat> sorry, something on PZ Meyer's blog that was the, the Dear Muslima letter where he was sort of mocking uh, Rebecca Watson's skeptic for how serious she thought that was by sort of making a sarcastic post saying, you know, like, oh, sorry, Muslima, um, you you might think you have it bad by having your genitals mutilated and not being able to drive and having to wear a full burqa, but have you heard of this one girl? Her name is Skeptic. She was offered coffee in an elevator, and oh, my goodness, <laughs> that's, like, the worst thing ever. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty funny, but that really just, that shook the whole atheist community big time. People hated Dawkins. Uh, he was hounded on when he would give talks, he was disinvited to so many events, and he was the poster boy for, for atheism at the moment. And so that created a big rift in factions, and then PZ Myers sort of took up, he's a biologist at the University of Minnesota Morris, 
had a blog called Ferangula, and he sort of just took up this banner uh, of atheism plus, which was supposed to be atheism plus a focus on social justice issues, because there's a whole debate before about what's the atheism movement? Is it just about not disbelieving in God, or is there other components to it that we should look at? Like it was dictionary atheism versus sort of movement atheism. That's a whole other thing. And what Atheism Plus ended up turning into really was just sort of woke Democrats who happened to be atheist. And then all the conferences after that, you would look at the titles of the talks and it was just like intersectionality and the atheism movement or atheism and feminism. And it was just, it was just completely not involved in skepticism anymore. Uh, it was just, it was just a political movement. And then anyone who disagreed with any of this woke stuff was cast out. And that was a lot of the the core atheists before uh, new atheism came along. And so atheism never really recovered since then um, because of the whole woke takeover of the movement. It's still, I'd say that's still the majority of atheist movements. I can't even watch a lot of the old people that I used to, to watch because they've just gone full full identitarian um, woke. They're 100% in on the, the whole trans ideology and gender stuff. And I, I just, I can't even deal with that anymore. It's, it's, it's really toxic. People like Matt Delahunty, who I used to watch uh, religiously, if I want to use that word, um, he's, he's blocked me on Twitter because I disagreed with him about something about JK Rowling and her comments about you know, uh, trans women in, in, in female spaces, things like that. So it's, uh, it's devolved quite a bit. Delahunty, wasn't he debating? He, he, he still debates Tears, right? if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah, he's still out there doing stuff. I, I, I liked his talk that he had maybe three or four years ago, maybe more now, uh, with Jordan Peterson. I thought he uh -huh. had a good showing there. Um, and I, I thought that he would be sort of impervious to this, the, the woke takeover. There was some indication that he was going to be pushing back against certain aspects of it, but it appears that he's just gone full, full PZ Myers now at this point, or at least he's on track to, to becoming that. <laughs> so it's it's really disappointing to me because I learned how to to reason and think and the, the whole concept of burden of proof from from people like Matt Dillahunty and it's it's really sad to see where they where they are now. Wow. So so if I was to summarize this, so in the essence of new atheism was anti-religion. The essence of atheism plus is social justice. Uh would it be fair to say then atheism plus is just Abrahamism without the God? How would you define Abrahamism? In that okay, context? so so I'll give you, so here hear me out here. So I see a lot of similarities in Christianity, Islam, and wokeism or or atheism plus in the sense that uh, you have apostasy and blasphemy laws in those religions. It's very interesting because Hinduism does not have apostasy and blasphemy as a religion. So it, for a Hindu, the experience is very different. But for a Christian and a Muslim, it's a very different experience. So let's say you 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 see atheism plus having apostasy and blasphemy, like you can't speak about this. Yeah. If you leave us, we will tarnish you. Obviously, it's not like the old religions where you literally get murdered. Uh, Thank goodness for that. But you get ostracized on social media. There are mobs on social media that, that are let after you. People write letters to your 
employee or to basically or employer uh, that you know you don't deserve this job and how horrible a person you are so there's apostasy and blasphemy there obviously uh there is also this original sin concept right which christianity has this original sin and i guess america now has defined your original sin as privilege I, privilege is the original sin here uh, obviously privilege plus uh, your skin color uh, but i don't know how indians manage to be adjacent white adjacent that's a mystery i need i, I need to solve because indians are white adjacent now in america that's what i've been told so even the skin color hypothesis kind of goes out of the window but it is what it is so i see a lot of similarities in the old religious structure and atheism plus they just removed the god and they tried to use the same structure where you have blasphemy you have apostasy you have the original sin embedded in there and then you have everything that goes around it and they are somehow managed trying to congregate the only difference is the old religions give you redemption this one doesn't give you anything at all so how are they going to manage around that then yeah i think you've hit it on the head pretty pretty well there i, I really see this as a as a religious movement and as has an atheist who who's argued against religious people for for many years i mean this is the reason why i wanted to be an evolutionary biologist was arguing with creationists and intelligent design proponents and I say, I, I tell you, I, I don't argue with a lot of the intelligent design creationism people anymore, mostly because they're just, they're not as prevalent as they were, or at least they're not as socially relevant. They don't appear to be, uh, you know, they don't have a foothold in universities trying to change curricula and, and schools anymore. Um, so they're, they're pretty powerless. But I remember when they had more power and just the arguments I had with them and the, the sort of glazed look in their eyes, you know, where it's just like a complete ideologue. And I see that exact same tendency in the whole uh, the woke intersectional movement right now. I argue with them, and some of the arguments are just so similar to the ones that I would have with intelligent design people. Like, for instance, you, they had this idea of irreducible complexity uh, for for evolution, which was that you know this yeah. trait is so complex that this couldn't have possibly evolved. You know, it's just you know it had to have been guided by God or something like that, and then. In the area that I talk about a lot, which is biological sex, you'll see people make a similar like argument from complexity that sex is just so, you, it's irreducibly complex. You can't pin it down to any one variable. We don't really know what a male and female is. It's just sort of this statistical summary. It's a very cloudy concept. Uh, therefore, we should let people just identify as whatever sex they are and just let them go with it. I mean, they, there's there's a very similar parallel that you have between these two groups and the arguments they'll use to defend what I see is just a, a, a central dogma or a faith behind them. And I think you also pointed out something that I think is the most pernicious aspect of the whole woke movement is that there isn't this avenue for forgiveness whatsoever. I mean, you're bad, you need to lose your job, you can never be let back into society. Uh, there's there's no on-ramp, again, for people who are who are exiled. It's it's just you're forever tarnished unless you're maybe a, a criminal who's already done their time there's there's sort of this tendency to want to you know we need to give these criminals in the prison system find a way to bring them back in society so they'll have this weird juxtaposition where they'll they're arguing for bringing people who may have you know murdered people who are in jail for 20 years they want them to integrate back into society but then someone like me who says 
you know, the male and female are real. And that's just beyond the pale. So they'll <laughs> they'll prioritize like a literal murderer and want to integrate them back. Whereas people like like me who are have an ideological difference rather than an actual difference in the crimes that were committed, uh, you know, we're just beyond the pale. It's it's a it's a complete ideological um, exiling is, is what they're they're calling for. Yeah, not only that, and just like the old religions, I see another similarity here is that the old religions will go after your family. Like they would banish you of the family. So the old religions will throw you out of the village or nobody would go to your house and uh, take drink water from your house or take food from your house. And it, it, the, the same thing happens right now. Oh, so it's your family member who did this and they go after your family. They, they'll, they'll start you know, finding your wife's or your girlfriend's Instagram account and they'll start typing over there. I don't know. So, so when... How the hell did this kind of, I, I think the right word here is, this is a process of untouchability. And this untouchability is digital and intellectual. Now, I, I live in a society where I know historically, I've seen religious untouchability historically being practiced. Obviously, India has come a long way now, but it existed in our society. When I look at all of this, this is literally untouchability it, and it is the the most pernicious type because they don't give you any scope it's like you're done your twitter account is done i mean look i'm not fan i'm not a fan of trump although i found him very hilarious i have to attempt i used to watch his twitter and laugh my ass off it was very entertaining i understand americans don't find it entertaining totally taken point taken but the thing is i have to use trump as an example to banish that guy completely off of social media, remove every single trace of that guy, that is untouchability. That is basically telling you, this is a digital village. You are not allowed here. And this is all basically all part of atheism plus. And these are the tentacles that are spreading all over in the society. So, if, so my next question to you, Colin, is that what are the possible antidotes to this untouchability like in india i know we pass regulation that you cannot do that anybody who practices any kind of untouchability goes to jail there are real life consequences what do you do with digital untouchability yeah it's it's something i try to think about a lot because i mean we're gonna have to overcome this somehow i, I mentioned before when i used to criticize intelligent design and creationism I did that as someone who was, you know, a scientist within the scientific community within the university, and all my colleagues were totally on board. No one ever said that my tone was off or anything. I could just totally blast these ideas out of the water, and there were no consequences for me because I was just using, you know, reason and evidence to to argue against these ideas. Um, and importantly, there's not a big presence of evangelical Christianity within the universities. So there's just no way that they can actually push back in, in, a, in a meaningful way when the establishment, this, the scientific community, uh, is arguing against some of these ideas. But we're in a position now where the ideas that I was criticizing when I had written about, you know, sex and gender, I was criticizing these ideas and the people giving me pushback were people within the universities because it's, you know, it's a very left-wing skewed. And so I no longer had that security. It was no longer me 
just arguing with people outside the the university and then everyone in the university having my support it was now people in the university were offended that i was you know criticizing trans ideology and so they did all they could to just you know purge purge the universities of of these heretical ideas and so i think the university is largely taken over by the ideology and so the question that you pose is you know how do we how do we correct for this you know i'm not exactly sure because it's it's been this, this positive feedback loop um, where the universities are getting more and more ideologically skewed. You know, before the internet, when someone would apply for a job as a professor, let's say they're like a microbiologist, they would submit their CV and it'd have their list of publications. You know, you published in the Journal of American Microbiology or whatever. You know, good journal. Here's the impact factor of the journal. Here's how many papers you published. Uh, but when you're going for an interview, there's sort of those taboos. You don't talk about politics and religion. You just talk about the science. You talk about what you discover as a microbiologist. Um, what are your achievements, your scientific achievements? And there was no social media that you could go on to then maybe try to uh, try to glean this information from the individuals who are applying. So you didn't know a lot about the beliefs of the people who were being hired. You just knew whether they were a competent scientist. Now with social media, uh, you can go on and you can you can gather all that information about someone, their religious or political beliefs that you wouldn't have been allowed or even, you know, either morally or legally allowed to ask during an interview. And they actually do this. I mean, we every time you're on a search committee, I mean, people are Googling all the people that they're they're hiring, even though they wouldn't ask these questions during an interview. You know, they're they're getting this information through social media. So everyone's trying to lock down their social media. Uh, and so they can actually hire people based not so much just on their 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 scientific clout, how 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 competent they are as a scientist, but they're they're clearly hiring people also based on the ideolo ideologies that they have. Where if someone was on social media with a MAGA hat, they could be they could have a Nobel Prize in microbiology, and they're probably not going to get hired because. No one wants to who's in the university wants to have this person as a colleague, even if they don't bring their politics to to the workplace. So that has just created this 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 ratcheting effect where the universities are just getting more and more ideologically extreme towards one end. So I mean, the idea is what's gonna how do you break that cycle? There's a big debate people are having now with you know how do we save the institutions or are they just gone? Do we have to make alternative institutions? And you have people like. Stephen Blackwood, who's founded Ralston College, which is, I guess, uh, an anti-woke college, or at least it's founded on principles of, of free speech and debate and um, the values that we would, we would, you know, uh, the whole intellectual diversity rather than just these superficial diversity traits. I think I'm leaning more towards the we need new institutions uh, unless we can actually change the culture through argument um, which you know that's this is like a generational thing. It's not that doesn't happen very quickly uh, through rational debate, getting more people to realize that these ideologies are bogus. But then you still have the same problem with well, everyone who's already in the universities now is pretty ideological, and they're still going to hire based on ideological uh, ideological lines. And even the HR departments now, I mean, you can't apply to universities. So your your application won't even get sent along to the department you're applying to. Uh, until after the HR has screened your your application for, uh, you know, your diversity, equity, and inclusion statement to see if it's sufficiently woke. So, I mean, 
I think either there's have to be some some serious new legislation that's passed that's going to make it so hiring has to be completely anonymous where you're not even a name on it. You just say, here are the journals I published in. I'm not even going to give you titles of the papers is because, you know, you can find out who I am based on those. But unless it's something like that, I just I really don't see how a lot of the universities are are salvageable. Um, and on, on many topics, it probably doesn't matter. If you're talking about the ecology of wood frogs or something, I'm sure that science is going really well. But there's so many areas where science does have a political um, slant, where there, there, it does influence politics in certain ways. And to me, I, I don't trust any science now that's coming out that's that touches on any hot political issue. I've just seen how how some papers are just not even accepted, this desk rejected, because they come to different conclusions than um, you might expect someone on the on the left to to support. So, yeah, I don't know if they can be saved. I hope they can be, but I think we really do need to try to focus on alternative institutions because I think there is a high demand for them, uh, and if they were actually built, I think they would be wildly successful. But it's it's hard to found. A university it's it's a huge endeavor but some people are are trying to take up that that challenge i i won't disagree with you in this because uh, i think the biggest example of that would be colette i think colette has created quite a bit of uh, of uh, a, a significant space for itself in the in the discourse i mean i've been following colette now for a while i think two more than two years and i i'm a regular reader of uh, colette so yeah, there is there, but then again, we always run into the problem when when you do do want to do real research or big work, you need humongous amounts of institutional funding, and I don't know how how that how that problem is going to be solved. But again, and now I want to come back to the old school atheism. Do you think there is hope for us, good old skeptics? Like I never used the tag atheist for myself ever in my life, but I mean, I always say I'm a skeptic. I mean, I'm a person who believes in uh, things with evidence. I mean, if you show me the evidence, I'll change my mind. That I, I never needed a tag. But uh, do you think there's any hope or the tag is too tarnished and it's it's just not worth fighting for anymore? For for atheism, you mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's always had a lot of baggage, the term. Um, I think a lot of people now, I mean, even I, when I hear, you know, the atheist movement, I just assume that it's just woke nonsense at this point. So in a way, I myself consider myself a pretty staunch atheist. And even I sort of recoil when I hear about something an atheist movement does and the cringiness about them. I tend to just avoid a lot of labels now. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say, sit here and say that I'm an atheist, but I, when I say that, I just mean that I just lack belief in God. Um, but I'm, I'm constantly fending off people trying to put labels on me because once they put a label on you, then they think they know everything about you. They can just make all these assumptions. You know, like uh, people will ask me, like, do I consider myself a feminist? And it's like, well, if, you're, if your definition of that is do I think males and females should have equal rights? Then, then sure, I'm a feminist. But you know, if you talk to someone who's on the right, you know, what their depiction of feminism is is sort of this intersectional critical theory type ideology. And then, in that sense, then no, I'm definitely not a feminist if that's what it is. Um, same with with atheism. People think you know 
if you identify as an atheist, that means you're sure God doesn't exist, and then you have all these other accompanying beliefs. But really, I just I just don't believe in God. So I, I just try to refer to myself as a non-believer. And then people can ask more questions about what I think about, you know, religion and politics and the intersection of uh, disbelief on all other facets of life. And uh, I'm willing to have those individual conversations on very specific points. Uh, and same thing with, with about any any other topic. You know, you don't assume that you know my position on anything if you know my position on one thing. You know, they're not necessarily correlated. Um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe the name atheist is is kind of tarnished. It might come in cycles. Maybe it won't be seen as bad 20 years from now. But, uh, yeah, and th there is there is a group that I'm a part of. I'm on, like, the academic board of directors. It's called um, Atheists for Liberty, and it's a very mm -hmm. specific, like, anti-woke uh, atheist movement. Now, people say, That's you know, why are we splitting into factions there? Uh and is, aren't they just as intolerant then of these other ideas? Well, it's it's mainly because this new atheist group, Atheists for Liberty, they're, they've identified that a lot of the woke ideology is itself sort of a religion, or at least it has dogmas. And so we would potentially be okay having someone who believed in those things within the group. They just can't, you know, go full authoritarian and, and say, uh, this, is, this is the truth and you have to accept it no matter what. So... I think we do need atheist groups to sort of bring back that old skepticism first and foremost and actually concentrate on the ways that religion harms societies, but also be acknowledging the usefulness of it in some contexts. And I don't I think we should not make the same mistake of assuming that we can't alter some viable alternative to the whole meaning making community building structures that atheism, uh, sorry, that, that religion has, has given uh, people for, you know, thousands of years. So, uh, and it's, it's really difficult to even know where to start with that. But I think those are conversations we need to, we need to really have, because that's, that's how we solve, I think, both the problem of, of religion becoming authoritarianism, uh, authoritarian, and also uh, new secular ideologies, like, like the woke movement from, from taking over and essentially being religion without uh, any sense of, of forgiveness. So, uh, so would atheists for uh, liberty would they be also equally be wary of new atheism? <laughs> I, I'm just I'm trying to understand it more because I found it genuinely fascinating. Uh, so, would you guys be equally wary of new atheism, and would you try to correct from the mistakes of new atheism while you argue against focus? So, I'll give you an a, a, an example here. As someone uh, who the, one of the earliest books I ever came across in my life was Michael Shermer, actually. Before The God Delusion, I actually came across Michael Shermer. Uh, why do people be, uh, believe weird things? Now, mm -hmm. Michael Shermer was never a new atheist. Michael Shermer was your good old skeptic, a person who would just have doubts. And he would have doubts, and he would have questions, and he would look at the evidence, and he would debunk things. And Michael Shermer has still pretty much to date stuck to that genre of debunking things, the good old skeptic, the good old atheist, agnostic. These labels don't matter. He's just stuck to the label skeptic. Now, do you think atheists for liberty would be more in that mold or still the Dawkinian, oh, everything is evil kind of a thing? I think it's probably a hybrid. So uh, when people talk about new atheism, there's, there's a lot of variation in what that actually is. So I considered myself at the time part of the new atheist movement. 
even though I was, I considered myself more the old time skeptic approach to things, there were, I'm, I'm learning more that there were sort of these different bubbles within the new atheist movement and they all sort of thought they were true, the real new atheism. <laughs> Uh, and there was, and so there, there isn't like a, a consensus on what exactly that was. And depending on if you're from the outside too, your idea of what new atheism was might be totally different than what people who are inside the movement thought of themselves as. So I think there may be some aspects of new atheism that were good. And the way I sort of conceived of new, of new atheism was that it was atheism and they were just not afraid to, to say that they didn't believe that religion was a good thing in certain contexts. They were, they were a more vocal form of atheism. Instead of like a passive atheism, they were very active and they were they were a movement and they were trying to root out dogma, um, religious-based dogma idea, uh, thinking in all areas of society. And to some degree, I think that's probably a good thing. I think atheists should speak up when religion is imposing itself on society, you know, a, a secular society or trying to make rules based on uh, Christianity or whatever the religion might be in that society. So I think you can't throw out all of what new atheism was because again, it was sort of, it was many different things depending on who you ask. So I'd say the Atheist for Liberty does have some aspects of the new atheism. We, we, we try to be vocal and, you know, we'll, we'll speak out against religion uh, ideas in, in society and we're not gonna, you know, be passive when those things are happening. Um, but I think the aspect we'll leave behind is the whole um, religion poisons everything aspect to some degree and try to maybe offer those viable alternatives and realize that religion is likely adaptive and there are aspects of it that do make a society um, cohesive at a, at a group level uh, that we need to try to incorporate in, in the atheist community moving forward, hopefully without some sort of dogma. Um, but that's something I think we'll uh, be trying to make progress on if possible. Yeah, so to me, the uh, irony of life was, I, I think it was a secular humanist society that had given Richard Dawkins an award. I think it was 95 or 96, or I don't yeah. remember the year. <laughs> They're the ones who canceled his award. I mean, life comes full circle. You first give the award and then you cancel Amazing. the same person. It, it, it's brilliant. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I, 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 ironically, so so just one one last question, uh, Colin. Do you see, I mean, as, as a disbeliever, uh, not uh, just at your individual level, do you see a time where maybe, okay, I'll give you my example. So, I don't believe in any supernatural entity, but I'd be a liar if I would not enjoy going to a temple. I, I, I would be lying. I love going to a temple, especially I'll give you a very specific example. I love going to Hare Krishna temples because they have the whole song and dance and and uh, the, the way you know they, they do the puja. So we call it the prayer, the puja. It's fantastic. It's a it's a it's a wonderful spectacle. And at that moment, when you're part of that congregation, even though you don't believe in the supernatural, you have a wonderful experience. So every once in a while, maybe once a year or something, I do go to the temple. I, I enjoy it. And uh, every year, like in my house, you know, we have Diwali. Uh, it's a big festival in India. I'll, I'll sit down with my parents and I'll actually even chant the mantras 
you know that are supposed to be chanted for diwali and i have never felt that discomfort or, or any sort of contradiction in my life where oh you don't believe it why are you doing it i just think it's a part of my culture and it's a part of my life and it's fine so do you think maybe uh, and this could be my last question to you do you think a future where maybe atheists in the west could maybe go to the church or something and enjoy the hymns and the psalms and see yeah, it's fake but i like it anyway yeah i think absolutely that's something that atheists could do um me personally i i was not raised in a religious environment like my 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 both my parents are atheists so i never grew up with a church community so for me going to a church and doing hymns or chants would be extremely awkward so but that's just me like a lot of people who grew up in that community uh where it would actually be impactful for them to to experience these things um i think there's again a lot of possible benefits of the community building and there's many aspects of religion and teachings you know even within christianity that that are that are positive you know you, we can all go and acknowledge that things like the golden rule are good and something that's important to notice is that a lot of christians today you know the, the bible says a lot of terrible terrible things but most christians who are just everyday christians they sort of only parrot the good parts of the bible yeah. and they're not really going they're not stoning people you know i'm an atheist there's parts in the bible that say if if someone tries to take you away from your religion or convince you that your god is a is a false god that you need to stone them and i've argued with many christians before and none have ever tried to stone me and even if you point out to them in the bible like you should be trying to stone me they they don't so <laughs> so this idea that people are actually getting their morality from the bible itself is just false because if they were then they wouldn't be able to pick and choose which ones are the the aspects that they're they they choose to live by so there's sort of this i think more of a secular morality or just a human nature where we're now going to the bible people are going to the holy books and they're picking out the good parts and they're leaving the bad parts in there and so i think that's what a lot of people are doing and i think that's that's a good thing i mean i'm, I'm i'd hope that they would just pick the good parts the problem is that there are bad parts there that some lunatic could then you know justly uh claim that they're they're acting in in the name of this religion for um but I, th I think a lot of i think christianity and a lot of other religions they've been sort of tempered by secularism and the west and they've sort of had to adapt and so i don't think they're all bad uh to a, a large degree i think we can have that cultural influence and which is for me and the most people i know who are religious they do take all the good parts of religion maybe they'll have some bad parts that I, i don't like but you know that's that's a conversation for another day with with them and i've had actually success talking about certain aspects of the bible and a lot of them don't seem to cling to very specific beliefs um too tenaciously if you can give good arguments against them but i do think that that community building you know it's it's really important for a lot of people and again maybe as an individual i don't think i need it i think some people do need it and it could be beneficial at a community at a at a you know as a at a country level too if people are sort of buying into this idea that you know we're all Americans or we're we all have a shared goal and some sort of shared morality at some point uh and that's a lot of what the woke ideology is is going against they they don't want these shared identities whatsoever it's all about just parsing things 
finer and finer and finer into more and more factions. And that's just, I think that just leads to breaking, you know, a society part of the hinges. I don't, I don't see how that could ever um, lead to a, a, any sort of cohesiveness that I think we really need as a society, especially now, given how, how divided things are. I think there is a place for, for religion um, moving forward. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of it. So I think we need to find ways to, to work with it and keep taming the worst aspects of it and embracing the good parts of it uh, wherever we can. So I'm not sure exactly how that looks and the best ways to go about it, but I think some sort of hybrid system is what we probably need to shoot for in the long term. Yes, I guess the, the future commandment is thou shall be selective <laughs> when yeah. it comes to religion. Uh, I also find it very fascinating, at least, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I could be wrong. I also always felt that, you know, people like you and I who are basically, I like to call them the leave me alone variety that, okay, look, I don't believe in your thing. Just leave me alone. Maybe I'll become a part of one or two things here and there, but we can be the way we are is when maybe the oldest meme in town, which is religion. I think religion is the most tried and tested meme, at least in most memes that that are going around these days. And maybe sometimes I think maybe skeptics or atheists um, or disbelievers, I don't think so. We, we maybe don't appreciate the glue or the scaffolding that religion is to our society. So maybe at a micro level, we can all be disbelievers. But maybe at a meta level or at a larger level, maybe that glue has been provided by religion. And when we chipped away through that scaffolding and we made it weak, I think we created turbulence and wokeism is coming. But So before we wrap up, uh, Colin, could you tell us about the book that Quillette has come up with? Uh, I, I would love the listeners to know about that too. Yeah. So the, the book is called Panics and Persecutions. 20 Tales of Excommunication in the Digital Age. It is largely a collection of, well, I mean, it is just a collection of Quillette articles that we've posted um, by people who have been canceled or about people who have been canceled. And the main point of it was to get rid of this idea, one, that cancel culture isn't real, because um, you've had people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say, you know, this is just holding people accountable for, for their beliefs, or that you know, only really famous people are tempted to get canceled, but they're so famous and wealthy that it never works on them. So it's not really an issue. And that sort of puts us in a, um, it's a kind of a heads I win, tails you lose situation because the people who are getting canceled are most likely people you have never heard about because they were canceled. And, and since they weren't famous, they never turned into a data point. They never made it on the news. And so you never hear about them. So you know, the, the idea that, you know, cancel culture is not real because where are all these people being canceled? Like, well, exactly. Like you never heard about them because they were canceled or even more worrying is they, they never were canceled because they just never spoke up in the first place because they knew that they saw what's happening to others around them who did speak up. And so they just, they pre canceled themselves uh, into silence. And so what the book, uh, the Quillette book panics and persecutions does, it just highlights these, 20 different stories of of people in their lives that you might have not have ever heard about unless you know they told their story. So there's uh, people's lives such as these internet um, Instagram knitting communities and how s small areas like this just blew up into um, 
you know, this, this racial panic, this moral panic over the fact that someone said they were going to take a trip to India, actually, a uh, white person. And they said that, you know, they've always wanted to go to India. They'd never left the U.S. And they were finally able to go with a group of friends to India. And they, they mentioned how going to India to them was, is, was similar in their minds to going to Mars because, you know, Mars seemed just as far away as India. And it was just their way of saying that, you know, they were, India just seemed like this faraway land that they, it was un, unreachable as Mars to them, which is a pretty innocuous thing to say. But then people mm -hmm. said, you know, this is colonialist language. You're comparing the Indians <laughs> to Martians. You know, how dare you say that, you, that you're othering them and, and you need to repent for <laughs> for what you said because this is, this is you know it's, it's colonialism that you're you're talking about and then they were forced to repent and then other people who were prominent in the knitting instagram who remained silent they were canceled because you know they didn't speak out against this and it was just this complete cascade of insanity that happens on these small internet forums that might seem inconsequential on a societal level but are really consequential for the individuals who are going through these uh and so yeah so the, the book is a collection of tales like that, but also maybe some some higher uh, brow instances of, of cancel culture in our society. Uh, I have a chapter in there of what happened to me in academia when I started writing about sex and gender uh, from within within the academy and how that played out over the course of a few years. So uh, I, I, I really recommend it. There's some really great articles in there. We started with about 50 and we had to whittle that down to the 20, the 20 best. And I think we really put together a good a good compilation of, of stories that are both uh, interesting, entertaining, pretty hilarious at times as well, and just show how how pervasive cancel culture is into the nooks and crannies of our society in areas you would never expect them to, to show up. Awesome. That sounds like a great book, uh, Colin. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I have been reading uh, your work for a while and I was actually, so when I heard you on Razib's podcast first, uh, I, so I told Razib, uh, you know, shout out to Razib for introducing us. But it, it was uh, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and it's good to see people who just believe in good old school common sense and evidence-based thinking to, you know, speak up because, uh, like I said, America tends to have very bad cascading effects overall around the world. So we might as well fix the problem in America before it comes down to us over Sorry here. So Colin. <laughs> <laughs> so Colin, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys. So time to wrap today's discussion up. I'm going to leave the link for Colin's Substack and the Quillette book and Colin's Twitter handle in this uh, description of the podcast doesn't matter if you're listening to the audio version or you're watching this video version if you want to support this channel please subscribe to the channel like the video leave a comment you can become a member of the youtube channel or subscribe on patreon i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care